Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Corey Emanuel, and you are now listening to Tough Talks. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming back for another Tough Talk Tuesday. My name is Kisha Edwards Gansey, and I'm the co-founder of World Explorers Group. And I'm again, I'm so excited to bring you another Tough Talk. Um, tonight we have our resident expert, Dr. Corey, joining us again, Dr. Corey Emanuel. Tonight we're going to be discussing the tough topic of how to talk to your children about income inequality and economic justice, and specifically how to talk about poverty and homelessness. And uh, Dr. Corey is going to guide us through some talking points, and then I'm going to come back in the end to ask some questions and and the kind of you know if Dr. Corey will. Be so willing to stay and talk to me for quite a bit because we want to make sure that we're prepping our children for how to really discuss the world that we live in and share together. All right, so we're going to dive right in because we we got a good bit of information that I want us to cover. First and foremost, there are three things you should know about homelessness, particularly here in the United States. First of all, approximately 580,000 people in the U.S. were homeless as of 2020. Um, and as you can probably imagine, that number I'm sure has grown um, due to COVID over this past year. Um, about 39% of homeless people are unsheltered, and this percentage has increased for six consecutive years. And thirdly, children account for 18% of homeless people. So when you look at that number of about 580,000, you can see that about 100,000 of those um, folks who are homeless are actually children. Um, so as we think about this topic tonight and we're having these conversations with our children, we want to also be aware that they're seeing young people that look like them in this current situation of homelessness. All right, as you, if you've been to my Tough Talks before, you know I always like to start with, what do we know about homelessness and poverty? You know, what is the state, what is the climate right now as we think about this particular population of people? Um, each year, between two to three million people in the United States experience an episode of homelessness. And I wanna put emphasis on that word episode because even if someone's only homeless for a night, that is still part of that 2.3 million people who are being affected by it, right? According to recent estimates, we know when we look at the demographics, African-Americans are the leading demographic in terms of those who are um, homeless, followed by Caucasians, 39%, um, Latinos, 13%, Native Americans, 4%, and then lastly, Asians, 2%. So, Really homelessness and poverty, it, it doesn't matter what your racial background is, we're all being affected by it on some level. These last two, um, you know, being a psychologist are very, uh, you know, just relevant topics, um, intersectionalities that, that come about that we have to address. Um, when we think about homelessness, homelessness and poverty, we really are talking at this point about public health concern. And we're specifically concerned about the psychological and physical impact that homelessness has on, on this particular population of people. Um, we also know that people with pervasive mental illness are less able to obtain lucrative or steady employment. 
And in that instance, obviously finding housing is going to be a challenge for them. Um, so again, we're looking at this from multiple levels as we move through this conversation tonight. All right, let's move it now to really thinking about our children specifically. When do, when do they begin to even have thoughts about differences in the way people live their lives and, and how they're being affected by income, by housing? So when we think about our really, really young kids, by the time they enter preschool, studies have shown that they are aware of differences between the rich and the poor. Um, by the time we start moving into, say, elementary school um, and even younger, they, we know that children are more likely to endorse negative traits about low-income peers um, and begin to even exclude them um, from their, their social hierarchy. So that discrimination starts to show up really early. And then by middle and high school, youth are aware of their own and other social class position and the status according to that, right? Then finally, when we move and begin transitioning into college, we know that youth from wealthier backgrounds are more likely to believe that they rightfully earn their place, you know, in college, you know, getting admitted into college based on their merit, their grades and things of around performance. While those from low income and working class backgrounds struggle often and even oftentimes develop um, imposter syndrome to fit in socially. So again, we're really looking at the whole spectrum from the time our kids are, you know, three, four years old, all the way through college being affected um, by their thoughts and their beliefs as it relates to um, socioeconomic backgrounds. All right, so let's dig even further here. You know, I think that it's important when we're having these conversations to sometimes define the, the topic at hand that we're, that we're addressing. So when we talk specifically about homelessness, what we mean is that we're talking about people who lack safe, stable, and appropriate places to live. Homelessness can include those who are sheltered and unsheltered. And it can also include people living doubled up or in an overcrowded living situation. Um, they could be in a motel. Um, this is all about inadequate economic resources, right? So we're talking about those who might be living in a tent or other temporary enclosures. So you can see it's a very wide gamut as to how a person may fall into the category of being homeless or impoverished. All right, so a big piece uh, of the puzzle here while we're having this conversa conversation and while we're starting with our kids so early now is all about perception. As I've said in some of my previous Tough Talk, this is probably the heart and center of my work as a psychologist is really shifting the way that we perceive others, right? So in some of the research, we found that people often have uh, these stereotypes, right, around why we believe someone might be um, homeless or impoverished. And that usually falls into the category of they don't try hard enough, that they're irresponsible, that they make poor decisions, that they don't stay in school and get a college degree, et cetera, et cetera. So a part of having these conversations with our kids is shifting that lens through which we view people who are in a current situation of homelessness. All right, so I, I wanted to bring up briefly just some other realities that sometimes kind of skirt by us, right? We don't 
really often think about this as a person being, you know, potentially um, homeless or impoverished, but I think it's something that we should consider. So one of the situations, one in which I actually fell in um, under when I was a child is that of a single parent, right? Where there's very limited resources and there's often no transportation to find a way for the mom or the dad to get back and forth to work. And then, you know, conversely, getting children back and forth to school and daycare. So this is another reality of someone who's living in poverty. Um, elderly, our elderly community, um, those who have to find a way to pay both for utilities and medication, and oftentimes having to pick and choose between one or the other each month. So do I go without water or, you know, uh, heat, um, or do I get my blood pressure medicine? This is another example of those who uh, might be living in poverty. Um, a young adult who, you know, has to start taking care of their siblings while a parent might be incarcerated, right? So not only are you a young adult, maybe trying to figure out your own income situation and how to stay afloat, but now you've inherited siblings that you have to feed and take care of as well. And then another example I thought to include is the elderly couple who might have to raise their grandchildren. So they're already in a situation where they might be, you know, living off of social security, but now they've got to also feed and clothe and take care of their grandchildren. So these are all examples. Again, sometimes we don't think about that. When we think about poverty, we think about the people that we see living on the street, but it's so far reaching that, that you know, half a million people or more that we talked about at the top of the call. These are often people that fall into those categories as well. All right, so the, the big reason why you came tonight is, you know, why do we need to talk to our kids? What are some of the conversations that we need to be having, right? So what I want us to, to take away, if nothing else tonight, is the reason we're having this conversation starting so early is we really want to reduce stigma and classism, right? That's one of our big goals from having this conversation tonight. So why do we need to do that? Why is it important? We need to counteract the message that people are poor because of their personality or a certain characteristic. Right. We just need to completely take that off the table and really look at the truth of the matter, which is that income inequality is built into our societal structures and is very, very hard to overcome. You know, there's a reason why homelessness doesn't just go away overnight. There's a reason why when folks, you know, come into additional income, sometimes that they still are impoverished. You know, they're always trying to play catch up. And that is because of societal structures. Right. Um, we want ultimately to encourage our children to view poverty and homelessness and inequality as unfair and support them as they seek innovative ways to correct disparities. So again, if you don't take anything away from else away from this call tonight, know that we really are on this mission and I applaud World Explorers for really trying to reduce the stigma and classism around poverty and homelessness. All right, so let's get into some of those conversation starters, right? Where do we begin with this? We really wanna build off that authentic, 
genuine curiosity that our kids have, as well as that empathy that they often have when they're young, right? So what I'm, what do I mean by that? So we've all been in a situation, you know, I'm here in Los Angeles. I know there's people on the call from New York, other major cities, um, even rural towns now are starting to see an increase in their homeless population. So our children are making these observations as well. We know that. So uh, one of the ways in which you can start a conversation is when you are driving by and you see the sign from the panhandler, you know, the kids often will ask us to read that to them or they'll read it themselves, followed by this particular statement. Can we give him or her some money to help? right? So two very natural, organic moments that often happen in the world that we live in. We're going to use these instances to build off um, their curiosity as well as their empathy to start these conversations. So, you know, while it, it may be, be begin with just, you know, handing someone a dollar, how do we build from that conversation, right? How do we make this an ongoing talk? As we often say in these tough talks, it isn't some, you know, singular moment. We want to continue, have a continuous dialogue around these topics. All right, so, so let's talk about some of these do's and don'ts, don'ts, right? So one of the things we want to do is we want to really, um, get away from ignoring or shushing our kids when they're making these observations, right? And a lot of times when we get into that mode of, of sort of brushing something under the rug or, you know, trying to ignore what our kids are talking about, we often also use language that is not appropriate. And so what I mean by that is instead of saying a homeless person or a poor person, we really want to use, use phrases like a person who is homeless and people living in poverty. Why do we want to change our language as it comes to this, as we talk about this topic? We really want to reinforce that poverty and homelessness is just someone's current situation. It doesn't define them. Right. And that's so important with our kids, because as they're developing their own identity, we want them to be able to look at other people like we are the same, no matter what their race, no matter what their sexuality, no matter what their current income or living situation is, we're all the same. And we can begin that conversation by be, being very careful about the language, language we use. So again, knowing that poverty and, and being homeless is a current situation and it does not define the other person. Secondly, we wanna really encourage compassion, concern and action instead of pity, right? And so that empathy is something that we always, always wanna be harnessing with our kids. And you know, it, it's gotta be part of this conversation when we talk about the people that we're observing and we're seeing in the world around us. And then thirdly, we want to talk about poverty and homelessness as situational and not individualistic. So again, going back to my earlier point about these misconceptions and these perceptions that we have about other people that they're too lazy and if they just, you know, would get a job, they wouldn't be. It's not that simple, right? So again, talking about it as a situational, you know, moment in time moment as this is just who this person is or this is how this group of people is. We really want to deter our kids from that, that line of thinking. All right, so some other topics of conversations, right? Because I know you came tonight to be, you know, like, where do I start with all of this, right? So just a couple of examples, right? So income equality, this is a, a key word vocabulary moment um, for, my, for my folks who are always 
finding themselves explaining uh, some of the, the words in which uh, shed more light on poverty and, and homelessness. Housing is a great example of where we can talk about some income equality. For example, uh, you know, inequality of conditions with the homeless and those living in housing projects, you know, that they're sitting at the bottom of the hierarchy. We talk about social hierarchy in the world, while those living in multi-million dollar mansions sit at the top. So you're, you're talking about what is the reality of those who are homeless versus those who are rich? What opportunities do maybe someone, does someone have based on the color of their skin, based on their gender? Uh, their gender? Uh, we're looking at really the, the entire scope of a person's life um, as they sit in the body, as they sit in the skin of who they are when we have these conversations. Don't be afraid to talk about the realities of why certain people might be homeless or impoverished. Uh, barriers to equal opportunities. So again, we're talking about oftentimes racial bias, right? We're not trying to, again, uh, skirt around real world issues that our kids um, are observing in this world. So be willing to talk about employment, right? How there are certain stereotypes that keep people from getting jobs, uh, unequal pay based on gender, you know, where you're in a situation, you're in a household uh, where maybe there's a single parent, uh, like my mom was raising me and how she was affected by her race and her gender and then had a child that she had to raise. So we can talk about that. We can talk about the prison system, right? How, you know, our, our prison systems in the United States are overpopulated by minorities, particularly African-American men. How does that affect the family unit and the amount of income that can come in? Right. And then obviously COVID is one. Uh, we talk about recent examples. Um, I know when I just go down the street right here in L.A., there's so many examples talking conversation starters around what's happening right there in your backyard. Start there. Talk about the pre-existing inequalities in the United States and how most countries around the world, you know, made very everyday ordinary people vulnerable to the dual blows of the current public health and economic crises, right? All right, so as I often uh, like to kind of leave us before we segue into some Q&A, some resources that I think you should be aware of. If you're someone, because I know we, we have people from all different walks of life who join our Tough Talks. If you're someone from, let's say, a uh, high socioeconomic background, right, where, you know, you Poverty and, and some of the stuff we've talked about tonight is very foreign to you. We know that it's some people's uh, reality and we're not here to judge you or make you feel bad for that. But there is a, a website called the poverty simulation.net. There's an opportunity to actually role play what it would be like for you and your family uh, to have to get your basic needs met when there's a scarcity of resources, a scarcity of opportunity, a scarcity of housing, right? Just because that may not be your everyday reality doesn't mean that you can't put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? So poverty assimilation, check them out if you're looking for an opportunity like that. Maybe you got it, but you want your kids to get it so you can engage and be a part of that simulation with your kids. Uh, the Joshua Hart Foundation is another great example, started by a young man named Joshua when he was a kid, uh, to give boxes of hope, if you will, to the homeless. So you can donate to that cause 
learn a lot about what they do and how they uh, you know, use outreach with the homeless uh, community. And then lastly, probably the most popular one that we, we may be familiar with is globalcitizen.org. That is a great resource if you wanna learn about the systemic causes of extreme poverty and be able to take action on various issues and even earn rewards for those actions. So those are just a couple of places to get started. Um, and then I will go ahead and uh, leave you with this challenge uh, before we uh, go into some Q&A. But I want you to think about when you leave this tough talk tonight, what real world example from the past year, again, feel free to pull from 2020. We experienced a lot as it relates to COVID and those dual blows that I talked about just a moment ago. How might you pair from what your experience has been, what you've observed, what you've seen in the news, with today's lesson to have a conversation with your child about poverty and homelessness. Thank you so much, Dr. Corey. As always, that was a wealth of information. Thank you so much. Let's dig into some questions. I have several. Um, I've been given some from off the off the internet. So let's dig into these and um, and let's see if we can get through them. So um, one of the things that comes up quite a bit as a parent is um, income disparities with children in your friend circles, children within your children's friend groups. So um, how do you manage that? How do you manage income disparities with play dates and friendships in your friend circle? Like if your child has a, a friend who may live in a very different living environment than you do, if your child has a friend who's facing real life poverty and homelessness themselves, like how do you handle that? You're at your play date in your nice home or vice versa. Like, um, can you give our parents some tools on how to talk about instances that are like that, that hit home Absolutely. really hard? Absolutely. And this, this particular question and topic is one that's really near and dear to my heart with a lot of the mentoring and work I do in youth development. You know, we specifically work with youth. We call them at promise youth, not at risk youth, uh, but those who do come from low socioeconomic backgrounds. And we realize that so much of the work that we're doing is to expose them to opportunities that their particular current situation would not afford them, right? And so we have very honest conversations with them and I, try to preface all of our tough talks with lead with honesty, right? If you are from that particular demographic or population of people who, you know, you, you do have comfortable living and you do know where your next meal is gonna come from, you are someone that is considered blessed. Whether or not you're a spiritual person or not, um, there's a sense of knowing that I, I'm blessed, my life is blessed, my family is blessed. And I think you lead that conversation with your children in that way, letting them know this is not everybody's reality. Um, let them know the realities of your hard work to get where you are. Um, and if you didn't necessarily uh, come by your wealth, uh, you know, by becoming a self-made person, but perhaps, you know, trust, uh, you know, a family money passed down, invite those real life examples, conversations into your family. And then you go from there. You say, all right, this is our reality, but this is not necessarily your friend's reality. So we wanna be sensitive to that, right? We want to invite them to share with us and our experience, but I also want you to be willing and open to go and spend time with them in their environment, right? And so we wanna just 
uh, it's becoming sort of a buzzword now, but we want to normalize the fact that we are on different playing fields oftentimes, but mm -hmm. also know that we have to challenge why we might be on different playing fields. So we got to invite that piece into the conversation too. Yes, that's helpful. And also speaking to that for families who may be low, low income or middle income, and, and there's people who, who have more money than they do and more money than their family does. How, how can they have productive conversations with, with their children saying like, look, this is where we are right now. Like, what are, what are some examples of that? Not to villainize people because they have created wealth right. at the same time. Right. Absolutely. And again, like I said, I can pull from my own personal background with this situation. I was someone who grew up in a single parent home and I had a lot of questions about you know, being around friends who would come to school with name brand clothes on and, uh, you know, the newest pair of sneakers or whatever, or even simply being able to buy food at the uh, concession stand. And I couldn't afford to do that. I had to, you know, eat the school lunch or, or was actually at one point someone who got a free lunch from school. But my mom never strayed away from having those conversations. She would say, you know, Corey, we just don't have it like that right now. You know, I believe I'm working hard, I'm saving, I'm doing the things that I can do to remove us or take us out of this situation. But she was always very transparent with me about what we could afford and what we couldn't afford. Now, there is a fine line. You do want to reduce um, any particular sort of mental health anguish from your kids, right? Mm -hmm. But not yeah. to the point where they live in this fictional world where they, they, they're not fully aware of the differences between their home environment and the home environment of other people. So again, I just keep going back to this honesty piece. You don't have to reveal, you know, that we're down to the last dollar in the bank, so to speak. But yeah, we we have to budget around this house, right? We we have to, you know, maybe eat on uh, spaghetti for a couple of days, right? And that may not be the reality of your friend, right? So I I, I will always go back to pulling from the reality, but also safeguarding in such a way that you don't create any type of mental anguish for your kids. And that sounds like a delicate balance right there. Like how to, how to be transparent to a point while at the same time, not creating the anxiety around a truth, the truth of a situation. Right. I've, you feel like, I mean, how can a parent get there to that point where, how do you know, like when you reach that point in the conversation, like, okay, is it just the gut? What is it? Well, and I, I often say, think about what you would want to hear if you were a child. I think mm -hmm. about what situations created some anxiety for you when you were young, right? I, I always say, go through the lens of your personal experience as much as you can when you're talking to your kids. You know, you might be older now, but we're not all so far removed from our upbringings that we we know, okay, there that, that was a moment there. I remember that. And pull that into the conversation. Don't be afraid of that. You know, like I said, it, even if you're like, you know what, I want to have this conversation, but I don't necessarily, necessarily feel like I have the tools, put a, put a comma, you know, put a pause on it and come back. Say, you know what, son, or say, you know what, daughter, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this, but you mind if we talk about this a little later on this evening, or let's talk about this in the morning and gather your thoughts, pull, you know, pull some resources, some of the things that uh, I've shared even tonight, and then begin to have that conversation. I don't feel like you've got to have it all in that one particular moment. And, and it could be a series of conversations. That's right. And, and you know what, and 
for the series of conversations. Like, I feel like there is so much we digging and conversations that we have to have with our kids. Um, where do we go with, you know, we have like at this point, like say like a parent has a 12 year old and there's never been a conversation like this. How do you find out where they are? Like, how do you assess that? Like, where do you, do you go like, is there a checklist? Like, what do you do? I think, I think what you do, what we know is that oftentimes our kids aren't watching the news. Uh, they're not as, as privy to uh, some of the things that we're seeing as adults, right? But I think you can still invite those moments into the conversation, you know? So you're on your way to school. Uh, you're on your way to whatever sports practice, whether you're taking them or picking them up. Use those everyday moments. You're not trying to force a situation, but you ask them, you know, you say, you know, have you, you know, realized or noticed that there's a lot more homeless people um, I'm noticing as we're out and about, like, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think? And you'd be, you'd be very surprised how many times our kids actually have a thought on these things. We think because mm -hmm. they're not engaged at the same level that we are, that they don't have an opinion or a thought, but use that. And if they don't have one, say, you know, I think maybe there's something that we could do. You know, maybe there's an mm -hmm. idea brewing, or maybe you've read about or seen some things that are happening in the community to give back. Um, I know for me, what I often do is around the, the holidays, I make sure I take some food to um, someone who I might see that's homeless, right? And I've had opportunities with nieces and nephews and you know, younger cousins over the years to say, you know, have you thought about getting into volunteering? And if they say, oh, I've thought about it, but I don't really know what to do. Well, you know, like our homeless population is a great way to start. So you're just, again, you're using everyday moments, uh, you know, mm -hmm. to to engage them, to see where their thinking is and then how you might lead them into a thought that they didn't have yet. It's, it's that, it's sort of give and take in that way. Yeah, for sure. And then for speaking of those actions, like taking action for to combat poverty and homelessness and and all the societal ills that we're, we're discussing, um, where, you know, where can we, how can we teach kids to establish boundaries around giving? And I ask that because, you know, like for the, for the child who's like, you know, you spoke about your nieces and nephews, or I, I have my kids, like there's, you know, they get excited about changing the world when they know that they can have a hand at that, but we can't give everything away. Right. So like, how, how do you discuss like what those boundaries look like with children? Right. I think that again, going back to your everyday situations, things that are happening around you. So for example, you've got kids who um, are getting allowances, right? Or they get money for Christmas or et cetera. Use those as opportunities. Say, all right, you have, we have money set aside for food. We have money set aside for clothes. Let's have money set aside for philanthropy, for charity, for money that we give back. And as a conversation I was just having probably two days ago uh, with some other friends just talking about our, our own childhoods. And, you know, there comes a point in growing up where I feel like we as adults have to have that conversation about, okay, yeah, this is my money and what I'm doing with my money, but what are you doing with your money? Right. So use it as an opportunity. If they get into this sort of stride of wanting to give, you know, you say, all right, you get ten dollars a week, you know, set aside two dollars of that ten dollars that you can give back each week. And if you want to give each homeless person, you see a quarter 
or if you want to give each homeless person you see a dollar each, that's fine. But that is the amount of money allowed to giving back. And so again, we just have to make saving and boundaries around money, even as it comes to charity, part of our everyday lifestyles. Yes, that's that's important. And and also as far as like giving is concerned, when giving is detrimental. And I and I'm I want to speak to this because we could have um, children and families who have people in their lives who they can't give money to for whatever reason. And they may appear to be in a desperate situation or have, you know, there could be mental health issues. There could be drug issues. There could be, you know, things on the table that prevent you from being able to help them. So how, when, when there's a situation that's compounded, um, a lot of times uh, poverty is accompanied by a lot of these issues like drug abuse and mental health crises. Um, what do we do in those cases? How do we let our kids know, like, you know, the reason why I'm not giving to this person is because of X, Y, and Z. Like, what do those conversations look like? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think starting with the mental health piece is a great end to that conversation. Um, it's something that in my own training, you're, you're taught to do, you have to assess a situation before you just move in and try to act. And so I think we have to if it's coming from the adult first, um, if you've made that observation or if you've witnessed it, you want to lead in first, making sure that's a situation that you can give. So we can still, like I said earlier, safeguard our kids from getting their feelings hurt or you know, feeling like they're, they've overstepped their bounds by you assessing that situation first. And then if you get some pushback, if perhaps that person was rude, um, or there was some pride or some arrogance about receiving help, then you need to let your kids know that. Because again, that is part of just dealing with the realities of life and different personalities and helping us develop our interpersonal skills. It's saying, you know, son, daughter, I would love for us to help this family, but they're not in a position right now to be able to see, receive help, but we'll give it some time, perhaps at a later date, we can go back and they will be, they would be willing to, to receive our help or the help from others. But again, don't stray away from letting your kids know not everyone's going to be willing to receive help right now because they're dealing with whatever mm -hmm. mental health or personality um, challenges that they might have at that time. And that is key. What you just said, you know, everyone is not in a position to be able to re receive help at a given time that you, you have to be in that space to be able to receive help. And that's important for kids to understand for sure, for sure. Um, the question um, that I feel like comes up for a lot of kids is how does this happen? Like how does, specifically regarding homelessness, like how does someone go from living in a home to not having a home? Um, how, what should we include in that conversation? Yeah, and that's, that's so multi-layered, right? We know that, we know, Oftentimes, as the research has shown us, is mental health issues. That's probably the most prevalent. Um, we know that there's a lot of racial bias. So we have everything from, you know, redlining that's kept us out of, you know, housing uh, to just a job uh, employment from actually having a job to having a job that would afford you the home to house you and your kids. Um, there's so there's so many layers of that. And I think that as parents, as guardians, we have to just take it a bullet point at a time. 
And that's why, again, going back to that series of conversations, maybe tonight we talk about how mental health affects those who are homeless or you know how they may have gotten in that situation. Um, maybe a week from today, we have another conversation about racial bias, um, you know, um, unemployment and, and things like that. And then next week we talk about COVID specifically. But again, just take it with stride. This is not sort of a, a marathon that we need to just address all issues of homelessness and poverty in one conversation. And like I said, if, if you need to kind of step away and do a little bit of research about, you know, what, what mental health challenges do directly affect homelessness, homelessness you know, which uh, mental uh, illnesses are more predominant when it comes to those living in homelessness, that's, that's the approach for that. But I don't encourage anybody to try to do one big sweep of this is how homelessness comes to be because it's just, it's so much richer of a conversation. For sure, for sure. And then back to um, just their friendships, their friendships with others. And um, because I know that this comes up a lot in families. Can you speak more on um, how to talk to kids about fairness with income levels, you know, like how it can be possibly fair that a friend in their class is homeless. How can it be possibly fair that a friend in their class is a billionaire? Like when we were dealing, you know, with kids, they're all kids in the same classroom, striving for the same things. How, how do we get to the root of that part? And I think too, again, that goes back to transparency from parents, right? Mm -hmm. Being transparent with your kids about how you may access wealth and how you may have been excluded from access to wealth, right? And we know that that comes from systemic issues. Like again, it's just, it's very multi-layered there, but I think it, it starts with us as parents and adults. And then I think as, as kids start to observe and uh, pick up on certain things that, you know, maybe a certain kid comes to, to, to class and may have a hole in their shirt, right? Those are realities. Those are things that I face with whatever. Uh, I think we have to encourage our kids first and foremost to be empathetic, right? And we talk about, you know, I, I was able to get you a new book bag for back to school this year, but that may not be, you may go to, to school this year and Johnny's going to have the same book bag that he had from two years ago. And that's okay. Like Johnny's still at school. He's still your friend. He's still a great kid. He's still smart. How, how he may be dressing today or tomorrow doesn't define him. And I think I talked a little bit about that earlier. We really want to mm -hmm. reduce stigma. And, and that takes, for lack of a better description, the village of the parent, the teachers to be inviting those types of conversations around the reality of, of where people are. Not everybody is on the same playing field. We have right. to let that be known. Uh, we have to know what the different playing fields are, that some people literally have wealth because it, they inherited it. It just is what it is. And some people based solely on the color of their skin has always been a step backwards, always trying to play catch up. And until we as adults, as policymakers, as, as, as politicians and things, change policies and, and move us forward as it relates to income equality, this is going to continue to be the reality. And so we have to, and again, that won't be a one-time, one-stop shop yep. conversation because your kids are going to nope. have many more conversations. But when they, when 100%. They, oh, mom and dad, why? I mean, why, 
does Johnny have a million dollars and we don't? <laughs> Gotta say, right. well, Johnny's dad is a lawyer and his mom's a doctor, honey. And you know, I <laughs> I just work at the local Walmart. And so there's a difference in income levels. Mm-hmm. So just not mm-hmm. straying away again, I can't emphasize enough from the realities of, of life. And then use that to, in, to empower and encourage your kids, you know, whether it's them brainstorming about what level of innovation they feel like they can foster to aid in homelessness mm-hmm. or yep. what we can do, just simply taking our allowance, giving back, et cetera. It is so far reaching as to where the conversation can go in those moments. Yes, for sure. And for children with less, um, I'd like I'd like for us to talk a little bit about um, shame, about how to deal with talking to children about feeling shame for where they are, you know, based on their family's income level. And shame can go both places too. Shame, you can be ashamed of the fact that you feel you have money unearned. You can be ashamed of the fact that you feel like you have less than others. So how do we help, you know, that shame factor with our children? I think we really, again, saying this word again, but normalizing uh, the non-material in, mm-hmm. in life. And I'm not not to say that you can kind of just naively going through life feeling like, I mean, we all need money to survive. It is a basic necessity. Mm-hmm. Think about our hierarchy of needs. We need food. We need water. We need oxygen. These are just things that we have to have. Mm-hmm. But we also... Uh, at least as adults have come to hopefully know now that uh, we are so much more than the money in our bank accounts. You know, how we we create experiences through the way we love on one another, uh, Mm -hmm. the way we engage with one another. Having these types of conversations around vulnerability and with with vulnerability and transparency, that's what makes a rich life. The money is just sort of like icing on the top. And I think we yeah. have to illustrate that. You can't just talk about that. You really have to be that and embody that as a lifestyle. And, and kids will absorb that. They will, you know, I remember my mom often uses the example. She, she says, you know, there were so many times where we had, we had three pieces of chicken. I gave you two and I ate one. You know, she talks about a time where she had like $5 to her name. And she took me to the movies. That's back when the movies were a dollar. A dollar? Okay. A dollar. And everything was a dollar. And she said, yeah. I told her, Mom, this was the best day of my life. And she said that always stuck with her because she knew she only had $5. But she took that $5 and made it an experience, one that I would never forget. And so I think we, we have to cultivate that type of environment for our kids that we're so much more than the money that's in our bank accounts. And right now you're talking about um, the spirit, mind and body and spiritual currency and mental currency. And then the money that we're talking about in, you know, the financial system is the world's currency and it's a physical, but there is, that's right. There's so much that speaks to the spirit in our minds that, you know, it's priceless and it it can't be quantified like that. Mm -hmm. I remember too, like growing up, not knowing what we didn't have. I had no idea. I had, it, it took me until, I mean, like, until I went to someone wealthy's house, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like people live like this, <laughs> zero idea. Yeah. And I think that that speaks volumes to your parents though, right? Mm-hmm. Again, of, you know, we may, we may be in a two bedroom, one bath house, but 
as far as I know, this is a mansion. You know, there's food in the refrigerator. It's warm. You know, I, I got toys to play with. They they normalize that this is this is a rich life. This experience you're having, this is a rich life. And so you moved about your life feeling like, well, I'm rich in my own right, you know? That's and right. I love that because it was the same for me. I didn't, I didn't know it wasn't until I really became, you know, probably high school that I was like, oh, okay, there there is a major difference in what rich is. <laughs> right. You know, being comfortable, you know. <laughs> That's right. For sure. Um, and speaking of like um, uh, just our lifestyles, um, I know we have we have parents who families who live all across our planet, you know, and, and definitely like riches and poverty looks look different all across our planet, for sure. And um, I, what I like to talk about a little bit is how to um, how to get around. OK, like I'm going to give you an example in New York City. We I have stepped over someone. I remember the day where I had to step over someone to get where I was going. There has been times when we had to like cross the street and go around because someone who was definitely living there on the street was having a moment, you know, and I don't know, I don't remember what words were said and what, you know, what were, what words were not said, but like these types of things happen, right? They happen in travel. They happen in our cities that we live in. How, do, how do we now like, do we have conversations with our kids where we backtrack and talk about that? Like, you know, like what happened in those instances, how far, I know they remember, yeah. right? So like, how do we, you know, kind of like back up, rewind and bring some of those things into like context? Right. And I think you can do it two ways. I think one, your child doesn't necessarily have to be with you for you to bring that conversation up. Talk about your own experience with mm -hmm. that situation, how it made you feel. You can do that. Or if they're with you, if they don't express their curiosity right there in the moment, which they often do, yeah. then you can bring that up when you guys are in a more isolated situation and can talk candidly about it. Then you can ask them, you know, we, we saw someone who was homeless today. Um, I, I know that was sort of awkward that we kind of had to step over them, but how, how did that make you feel? And allow the mm -hmm. conversation to organically be what it needs to be in that moment. They may say to you, mommy, that made me really sad. Like, is there anything that we can do about that, right? And then you can go down sort of the rabbit hole, if you will, or, you know, what is New York City doing about the homeless population? Or are there organizations in New York City where youth are working to create solutions for home? So it, it builds from there, but it always, yeah. always going to start with a moment of vulnerability and transparency about perhaps how you were affected in that moment. Mm -hmm. And, and can you talk, you know, I know that you work, you know, and with the youth, what kind of, when these conversations are absent, when these conversations are absent from the, the people who are caring for them or adults who are trusted advisors in their networks, what do they make up for themselves? Like, what do the kids make up in their own minds as substitutes for the real explanations? Well, so... One of the things I think I've shared this in other tough talks before is a universal human need that we all have is belonging. Mm -hmm. uh, we're all on this quest from the moment we arrive to the moment we take our last breath is looking for people to see us, like see me, right? Mm -hmm. And I think home, uh, homelessness is such a key... <sighs> 
subject matter to invite into the conversation around belonging because when uh, when else do you feel so isolated and so alone when you feel like nobody else is living this reality that I'm living right and so I think we for sure have had kids that you know have been in the scenarios we've talked about tonight where whether it's not they've outgrown their shoes um they they got dingy clothes, dirty clothes that they're coming to, to school with. These are the realities. And oftentimes they will show up in the way that they look or that, they, that they, they're feeling in that, in that particular moment or instance. And so we'll have one-on-ones like, what's going on? It'll often show up in their behavior. You know, t- the teachers may want to sum it up as they're just being, you know, uh, mean or inappropriate or whatever. But that's when we get to come in the conversation and say, all right, what's up? Like, what's really going on? And then we, we begin to hear of the realities of the home environment. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't have a meal at all that day. Um, you know, so you have to, again, assess the situation before you kind of insert and try to swoop in and save the day. Um, but most of the time, I will say kids will often be very transparent with you when they feel like they can trust you and that you have their best interests at heart. Um, but you do have to assess the situation before you just sort of make assumptions and try to yeah. in with solutions. Yeah, that is helpful. And and you, you said the word save the day, and I wanna to speak to that a little bit um, because I wanna understand the psychological implications of being someone who saves the day to someone else. Like meaning like, you know, are there perceptions that we need to be careful of with you know, being the one who's giving and how that's being done. Like, what can that create for kids? I mean, we hear words sometimes like a savior complex, like people like, you know, standing in, you know, as like someone with all the resources. What does, you know, can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Curious. It's a fine line. We know positive psychology teaches us that, you know, altruism, community involvement, again, these are mm-hmm. things that, again, mentally, psychologically really make us feel better. It's not so much like I need to do it to feel better, but when I do, I just feel better. And so we want to encourage that. I think, you know, the whole notion about we all need somebody, that's true. We all need someone that some days, whether it's just to hold the door open or to call us and say, I was just thinking about you, how are you doing? We all need that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I don't think there's any studies on how that has been problematic in any way. But when we talk about, you know, uh, sweeping in, saving the, the day, I think that where we can write a check and, and that's oftentimes just what people need. They just need that money to, to get into the house or to buy food. Yes, I think we also need to invite other people into that conversation, into that space that look like and can identify with those people in that moment. And so when we think about savior complex, oftentimes it's people that doesn't, that don't look like us and they're just writing the check and then they're gone. You know, how mm-hmm. does this now become a community thing where I'm seeing people who look like me and, and while you may have donated the money, you also sent uh, a barber or you sent, you know, some, some black educators, if you will, if you're working with the black population and so that, I can really see the possibilities. I can really see 
my life beyond this moment, beyond you just writing that check? How does this now become a space, a safe space of continuous healing and growth for me and, and everyone that might have been affected by the poverty and the homelessness? I think that is how we solve the bigger problem of homelessness, not just writing a check and being a one and done, but how do we expand the people and the circles around us so that this is a continuous place of growth and empowerment? Yes, the empowerment piece and also the community building piece. It's so vital. It's so vital to build community and to show people that they truly matter from the inside out and the outside in. And that's what building community does. Um, um, I wanna speak to, um, before we close, um, this, this idea that, um, you know, oftentimes we hear these thoughts, like people should just get, you know, like what you said, they should get a job earlier in the conversation during your slideshow. People need to work harder. You know, that's just the welfare mom. These terms that are, you know, it really paints this picture of irresponsibility for everyone who has less. Um, what are some of the long-term ramifications of teaching things like that to, to children? Well, again, you know, going back to um, the comment earlier about just the intersectionality, where it's not ever really just sort of a one uh, level mm -hmm. to poverty or homelessness. You know, often it's accompanied by something else. Um, so, um, you know, we have to think about, should I think of a good example of, Really, when we think about the, the, the names, the languages and things that, that we come up, that has been what has perpetuated ongoing racism and classism. And if our, if our goal, if our mission is to reduce those things, mm -hmm. then we've got to address every layer of it. So, you know, if someone's um, homeless or impoverished, we know that there is a deficit, there's a lack of money. And we say, okay, why is there a lack of money? Well, I can't get a job. Well, why can't you get a job? Well, I didn't get to finish school. Why didn't you finish school? Well, I had to drop out because A or B or C. You've That's got right. to go in and address yeah. every single one of those layers. And each one of those layers might be another ism that you've got right. to go and talk about. And so that's why I say like, None of these things are ever going to be just, all right, we talked about homelessness tonight at dinner and it was a great conversation. <laughs> right. We're going to donate $500 tomorrow to this particular charity. It's, it's just not that simple. Same with racism, you know, same with, you know, homophobia, all of these things. It is going to take a series of conversations and myriads of people working together. That's right. And I think that that's something that we can take away from all of these conversations is that we have to be constantly in conversation, that it's not that we do this one Tuesday a month, you know, and for people who work with children and people who have children, it's a daily practice to be engaging on these topics so that we raise children who have true perspective, you know, tr tr true, true perspective of the world that we share together. Thank you so much and have a good night, everyone. Remember, you are your child's most influential role model. 
as they seek to form their individual identities, you influence their attitudes, behavior, values, the way they coexist with others, as well as how they choose to love and honor who they uniquely are. Yes, we know, it's quite the tall order. But guess what? You don't have to do it alone. We're all figuring it out one day at a time together. Until next time, live, laugh, go explore. Thank you.